You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and the skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to the ProServe Podcast with Collective 54, a podcast for leaders of thriving boutique professional services firms. For those who are not familiar with us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community focused entirely on the needs of the boutique professional services industry. My name's Greg Alexander. I'm the founder, and I'll be your host today. On this episode, we're going to talk about growing your firm inorganically. In other words, doing some acquisitions, buying some firms. And the reason why we're doing this today is because the world has changed as we are recording this at the beginning of 2023. And, uh, you know, interest rates are up. Maybe there's a recession upon us. And what that means is that multiples have come down in the professional services space, more so in some sectors than others. And it may be an opportunity to, uh, to buy some firms. Many of our members don't know how to do that. They've never done it before. And our objective of today's call to put that issue on the table and at least get it in their consideration set. And we've got a great role model with us, someone who's done quite a bit of this. His name is Colton Hathaway. Colton is a Collective 54 member, and uh, he's going to walk us through kind of his approach and share some of his story. So, uh, Colton, it's good to see you. Please uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks so much for uh, having me, Greg. Uh, so I'm Colton, VP of Technology at Northern Commerce. We are a platform agnostic SI, meaning that we can uh, introduce solutions that make sense for, for the business. That could be retailers, uh, B2B manufacturing, uh, B2B to C firms. It, it really uh, is a wide breadth of, of solutions that we're able to provide into the market. And uh, and yeah, excited to talk about today's topic. Okay. And VP of technology, um, what does that mean in your firm? Uh, is your firm a uh, co-founder's founder, is CEO? How does all that work? Sure. Yeah. I mean, my role is kind of unique, um, given that we are a technology firm. Um, I do a lot of different things, whether that is is sales to key accounts, uh, leading partnership strategy with different platforms we work with, um, nurturing the different teams that that engage with our, our client base through delivery solutions, things like that. I, I kind of see myself as a bit of a, a, a servant leader, support to different parts of the business where I can create value. Okay. Sounds great. All right. So from what I understand... Part of the growth story that your firm is, is that you've grown through acquisition. So maybe at 30,000 feet, kind of walk us through your strategy there. How many deals have you done? Why have you decided to do it that way, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. So I'll take you way, way back to kind of, I guess, the, the founding of Northern. So Northern originally was the product of two different uh, solution providers. There was a marketing firm and then there was a, a technology e-commerce firm. Um, the, the merger of those two firms created Northern back in, uh, in 2015, uh, those two firms independently were obviously existing before then. Um, and so the, the merger and, and that acquisition, uh, really was kind of like the foundation of Northern in that practice. Um, fast forward to right at the start of the pandemic, uh, I believe it was 2020. Um, we ended up uh, acquiring another firm, uh, based in the same city. So similar story, similar size. Um, and really at that point, it doubled the capacity, the, the size of our team. So we ended up acquiring another firm that was essentially the same size as us. And uh, a lot of, I hate using this word, but a lot of synergies between the two teams. <laughs> uh, it made a lot of sense at the time. And and that's been part of our strategy ever since, right? So um, yeah, I, I think it's 
it's not uh, the easiest thing to do in, in doubling your size through an acquisition. Um, it worked out really well for us. A lot of the the same talent that came over as part of that acquisition are still here today and a uh, really excellent team we put together. Okay, fantastic. So I've, I've done some deals myself and the way that I always look at it, and maybe I'll throw this out there as a way to, as an outline for our call, is it's a buy versus build conversation. Buy means can I buy a company that gives me some strategic advantage that I don't have already, something that I need, or do I build it? And if I build it, that means I'm not going to buy it. It means I'm going to build it internally, which is hiring people and kind of growing organically that way. And I always looked at these things through the lens of three kind of criteria. First is, how much is it going to cost me to buy it versus build it? How long is it going to take to buy it versus build it? And what's the probability of success You know that I'm actually going to accomplish the goal? Goal. If against those two use cases, buying it and building it. Um, and as a general rule of thumb, I would buy a firm if it was cheaper, if it was faster, and if the probability of success was greater, or at least I could contain the risk because doing acquisitions is never risk-free. And those synergies you talk about sometimes don't materialize and Merging disparate cultures can be a challenge. Just, you know, the long list, the list is long as to how things can go wrong. So, how do you think through? And let's just maybe take these one at a time. First off, do you consider buy versus build when you're looking at this, or is it, or do you use some other framework to think about it? Yeah, no, I, I think that's an excellent framework to to consider. Um, really, for us and kind of acquisition strategy the first year post acquisition is is stabilization mode right merging the two teams making sure there's a good culture fit seeing if if anybody's not a fit how do you exit them gracefully um and really the the year post acquisition is, is stabilization mode if you can wrap that up in a year and it doesn't drag out for three or four or five years then i would say the uh the appetite to buy instead of build is there Interesting. if the acquisition takes longer than two years that's kind of the the point in which maybe you could build that over that that two years period right so that's one way i think about it is like how likely is this to succeed in in fewer than two years um the other thing that sometimes comes in and, and this is part of the the acquisition valuation and, and things like that is are you buying customers that are aligned with your existing service offering how can we cross sell and upsell um, into that that new client base right so that's another part of it if if there are opportunities where you could better serve their existing client base if we can buy those customers instead of create them on our own that's another part of the equation Yep. So let's talk about li a little bit around the uh, the for those two points, stabilization. So one year, can you get things stable in one year? Part of the challenge with buying services businesses is they say all your assets, you know, walk out the front door every day. And there's a lot of kind of turnover when acquisitions can happen. Now, there's some things you can do to mitigate that, employee contracts, et cetera. But, you know, what advice would you give our members to stabilize as quickly as possible? Yeah, this is an interesting one because I mean the the acquisition that we're we're still kind of towards that that tail end of the two years uh, we're, we're over two years now on that acquisition, but we we signed the deal or closed the deal right as the pandemic hit. So yeah. we're merging two cultures, which historically had been very familiar with in office work, um, the relationships that you're building in office and and things like that. And now we are through the pandemic into that or tackling that stabilization period, right? So there were some additional challenges, which I mean, sure. are gonna be different moving forward. Now now we've got the macroeconomic climate and, and things like that and a different, um, especially in the technology ecosystem, a different, uh, the talent pool is, has a different perspective than what it did over the past two years. Um, 
the big thing that I would say and, and that we focused on was key relationships, right? So it's like, who is critical on, on both of these firms? Who are, are vocal? Um, I come from a change management background. And so I'm trying to figure out who are going to be change sponsors, who are going to be change resistors. How do we include both of those groups yeah, as part of this acquisition? Mm. Um, and that's a big part. It's, it's all about the people though, in, mm. in the service-based business, right? How do we make them comfortable and, and included with that change? Mm. And is that done during diligence? Is that done after the deal closes? I'd say most of it has to happen after, right? Like there's going to be a small group that's going to be aware of the acquisition and, and part of that deal due diligence. Um, but I mean, in our case, uh, I mean, we're, we're dealing with hundreds of people and you can't involve that entire stakeholder yeah. group as, as part of that due diligence. So, I mean, there was a, a subset of us that knew what was happening, um, key, key people in that decision. Um, but most of those people you're going to have to bring on board after the, the deal closes and is announced. Right. So you're taking a little bit of a leap of faith there that you're going to be able to hold on to all those people. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of the, the calculation equation is, is we're going to lose some good people and, and that's part of the process. Um, but I think it's important to identify who is very critical to this deal, who holds those relationships both internally and externally, and how do we incentivize them to be part of the, the new core? Yeah. Let's talk about the next synergy you mentioned, which is the client list and the opportunity for a cross-sell. Um, we've got a group inside of Collective 54 called the Post-Exit Group, and it's a very interesting leadership board. I think there's about 12 people on it now. We've had, in three years we've been around, there's been, I think, 21 companies that were in the collective that have sold either entirely or part of their firm. So now there's this group that's, because we talk about growth, scale, and exit, there's this fourth group, the post-exit group. And most of them are still there at the, the new entity. Um, a lot of them were bought by private equity. And, you know, their theory is, is that they took some chips on the table, but the next bite of the apple is going to be a lot bigger. And it's going to be bigger because they're able to cross-sell services to each other's client list. That has been more challenging than many had realized. Um, have you seen it to be challenging or has it been easy? And, and what have you done to facilitate the cross-selling of each other's client lists? Sure. I think there's there's two parts to that. Um, one is is obviously just the health of the relationship. How much do they trust you? Like how much are you an expert advisor versus hands-on keyboard, you're just doing what the client asked for, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, there's two very different types of professional services firm, or I mean, there's multiple, but those are the two that I typically try to make sure that Northern is not seen as an order taker, rather we are the strategic advisory uh, role and, and what we, what solutions we bring to the table are in their best interest. Um, and it's a, a mutually beneficial relationship, right? So, I mean, if, if the firm that you're acquiring is, uh, order takers, their client base is less likely to look at the, the new organization as that strategic partner. They want to continue business as usual. Um, we know what we're doing. You are here to, to execute that vision. Um, so that's one thing is like how strategic or advisory was the, the firm you're acquiring and, and is there the propensity for that client base to see an app or have an appetite for that new service offering? Um, the other side of the equation is, is around like the, the breadth of services, right? So yeah. Um, in, in our business, we work, uh, again, a lot in, in retail, for example, right? And so there's two parts of our business, one being on, on e-com or, or digital experiences, the other on, on marketing performance and, and things like that. And so it's a very natural fit when a, a client comes to us for either development or marketing, we can cross or upsell the other side of that equation to give them a more holistic view of it. 
um, that doesn't exist in, in certain types of professional services. So I, I think it's the kind of the service that you're, you're yep. offering as well. Yep. And when you're thinking about what to pay for a firm, are you factoring in some dollar amount that you think you're going to get in cross-sell or is that just all gravy post-deal if it happens? It probably depends on, on the valuation, um, whether you're buying uh, a really excellent like leadership group or if you're buying the clientele. Um, if you're buying like a leadership group and the team is going to continue to perform, there's certain ways to structure that deal for for a, like a buyout period or if they continue to perform versus certain times firms, the they're just wanting an exit and they're, they're done with the business and, and they want out, in which case you're kind of, it's a hope and a prayer a little bit around that client base if they're going to stick around with that that new firm. So yeah. I think it's probably case by case basis on on the relationship and the structure of the team. Okay. And my last question is, I would imagine, given that you've done this successfully before, um, that you have access to the capital to pull these things off. And as I mentioned in the opening, you know, the price you got to pay for these things has come down a bit. Are you planning on doing more of these deals? Are you aggressive at the moment or are you, is it a wait and see approach? Yeah, I think, uh, and again, in this macroeconomic climate, everybody is focused on on cash and and surviving the storm, so to speak. I, I mean, speaking in terms of like what we're seeing on our different partners, like their pipelines are a little weak. I, I think in hearing with other Collective 54 members, that's pretty typical um, kind of heading into this type of economic climate. Um, that said, if a deal presents itself, there's always money to be made during this type of uh, climate, right? This macroeconomic climate, there there will be a lot of money made and, and those that execute successfully against this, we'll see that at the other yeah. end, right? So there's always deals on the table. We're always watching um, whether or not we're going to action on some of those. Eh, it's to be seen, but yeah. um, there's always deals. Yeah, awesome. Well, listen, Colton, we, we talk an awful lot here in Collective about selling your firm. I don't, I don't think we talk enough about buying firms. So this was a real contribution to net new incremental knowledge for us. So on behalf of the membership, appreciate you being here and and uh, contributing. Thanks so much for having me. All right. All right. So let me give a couple of uh, calls to action here in closing. So if, if you're a member, uh, be sure to attend the private Q&A session with Colton, which will happen on the Friday. We'll get the uh, boutique session meeting invite out to you and uh, you'll have an opportunity to spend an hour with him and directly ask your questions. Um, also, if this is something that you want to do, I'll direct you to Collective54's new companion courses for both the boutique and the founder bottleneck. These are online online learning programs that give you real kind of detailed how-to. A couple of templates in there in particular, the buy versus build template, which I mentioned earlier. And we also have a basic post-acquisition implementation plan template that might help you. So I direct you to those things. If you're not a member and you think you might want to become one, go to collective54.com, fill out a contact us form, a representative will get in contact with you and uh, discuss, you know, whether you qualify for membership and, you know, how you might benefit by meeting people like Colton and getting access to these tools. If you're not quite ready to join, but you want to educate yourself, subscribe to Collective 54 Insights. You'll get three things every week. On Monday, a blog. On Wednesday, a podcast. And on Friday, a chart. And that'll be a way to keep track of us and uh, educate yourself on the types of things we talk about. All right. Well, that was a lot in 15 minutes. I appreciate your attention. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And until next time, I wish you the best of luck.